Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Get your brand on board with our podcast with a sponsorship campaign and get into the earphones of over 100,000 highly engaged parents within our show and across Acast's other famous podcasts. We'll even come up with the creative for you. Get in touch via producerpaul.co.uk and we'll have a chat about how it works. Hello everyone and welcome back to Making Womb the Podcast. Our guest today is Nicola Washington, who's going to talk us through why everything is political, particularly parenting. Parenting is political no matter how you do it. If you're someone who claims to not be political or you feel like you don't like to talk politics and certainly not with your kids, then lean in as we chat with Nicola about the fact that we're all political beings. Are you well this week, Illy? I am all good. It's been a weekend of sunshine and good food and hosting. Um, and yeah, I it's, it's had me in a good mood. So yes, I, I definitely feel like I glow different this week. <laughs> all that vitamin d how are you yes i'm good i'm good a nice weekend of sunshine and people um and we should say happy father's day today oh it's yeah father's day if you're in the uk so happy father's day i wonder if we have any fathers listening hopefully um, simon and umar will listen but if we don't <laughs> if this is just a reminder to you if you haven't got your father's day card or gifts that you're too we late sorted you out. yeah it's too late basically yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so let's get into the episode. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A podcast from producerpaul.co.uk. So, welcome to Nicola Washington. It is lovely to have you here, Nick. Um, I'm really excited that you're joining us today. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, Holly. Hi, Illy. Um, my name's Nicola Washington. Um, I am a mom of two children aged six and eight. I live in South London, but I am from, well, it actually depends on who you speak to. I'm either from the north, <laughs> if you speak to someone from the south, or I'm from the Midlands, if you speak to someone who's from the actual north. Um, I'm from a place called Stoke-on-Trent, which is sort of in the northwest of the Midlands, um, which is where I grew up. Um, yeah, I live with my, my my two children and my partner, Ray, um, who uh, we've been together for a very long time now. I think it's 18, 18 years. Oh, wow. That is Something a long like time. It is a very long time. Um, so yeah, so I, um, I used to be a teacher. I then stopped being a teacher um, soon after my second child was born. And now I am a freelance social media manager for small businesses. So I've been doing that for the last four years, I think it is, altogether. Mm. So, I, so I work for myself now. What kind of teacher did you used to be? Um, I was an English teacher um, in, in secondary schools for 12 years in the wow. end. So yeah, I trained straight after university and then moved to Croydon, which was my first um, teaching post. Wow. And then I moved to a school in South Norwood. Um, and it was really hard. Like I loved it. Like the kids, mm. everyone always mm. thinks the kids are the worst part of the job. The kids are by far the best part yeah, of the job. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. I bet. I guess the other side of the job, the bureaucracy and the, you know, the workload and yeah. this, the, the, you know, the the stress, you know, it's yeah. that public sector stuff, isn't it? Public, yeah, public sector working. It's it is that. It's like actually, I'm in this because I love the kids. I love teaching. I love that. But then you pile on the rest of this crap, and it takes away from the joy of the job. So, mm. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just an completely all-consuming job and I have nothing but respect for people who do it particularly people with families because um, I couldn't manage that juggle you know my partner works extremely long hours and it just wasn't workable which is why I finished um, in 2016 so quite a few years ago now which sometimes scares me a bit that it's so long ago <laughs> it's mm. such a like would you agree that leaving a, like the sort of safety net that is a public sector job especially to go out by yourself it feels so so daunting and like lots of people will be like what you let mm. what like that's so brave or like you know I don't know. Would you, would you do you get that sense that it was just like a huge thing to leave that that job security and what you'd worked for? I suppose. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever seen it as brave. I don't. I have had people say that to me, but I've never seen it as brave. I thought I saw it as necessary um, for my family um, and also myself. I don't think that my relationship would have survived had I continued to to try and be the teacher I wanted to be um, mm. and also the mom I wanted to be. Like. It just wouldn't ever have worked. So I, I don't say it's brave, but 
it did have like a massive impact for probably, you know, two, two, three years afterwards, I felt completely lost. Um, you know, a huge part of my identity was being a teacher and I didn't realize that until I stopped being a teacher. (laughs) Mm. Did you, did you know you wanted to be a teacher from a young age? No, I always said I was never going to be a teacher. And I went to university and study English. And, and, and when you study English, every, that, that's what everyone says to you. Are you going to be a teacher? And uh, I said, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I got to the end of my degree. And um, teaching fit with the kind of job I wanted to do. So I wanted a job that was with people and didn't involve pushing paper around Mm. and I felt like I could have some kind of impact and make some kind of difference to people and teaching fit with that kind of um, ideal of a job that I wanted to do. So I went into it, um, I was, you know, I was good at it. I wasn't the best. There were people who were far better than I was at it, but I was good Mm. and I worked really hard and I got a lot out of it. And I got a huge sense of personal fulfillment and value out of it. So Mm. then when I left, kind of feeling like I was being pushed out by circumstance rather than actually wanting to leave, it did leave a huge gap um, that took some time for me to um recover you know to 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 sort of find different ways of being and i'm so grateful now that i've had that opportunity um you know that we were financially able for me to take that step out of teaching and for me to pursue something else um that's really interesting to me because i i'm having lots of thoughts about education at the moment and schooling and and the system that we have in the uk which I, I think is inadequate in a lot of ways. And I wonder if the teaching, the education system gets left with a lot of teachers that don't have a choice in their capacity or don't have the support they really need to be good teachers. I would say almost definitely. Like the... the um, teachers I worked with were almost without exception incredible people like mm. commit committed talented yeah um imaginative um incredibly hard working yeah um but the structures around them fail them yeah daily yeah and that i i'm really so my eldest son is is in year five now and i am really starting to see that come into its own and and it's it feels like it's being put in front of me in a very overt way. And you realise how many children then get failed by this system that just doesn't have the adequate support for anyone in it. You know, teachers, children, TAs, and any level of people in that system are not being given the support and nurturing and, 
kind of help they need to do their jobs properly. It's true. I mean, one of the funniest things I always think about teaching is that how many hats you wear. Uh, yeah. And one of the best ones has to be that you do all your own photocopying. And when the <laughs> pandemic hit, and you know how to fix a photocopy, which is the most ludicrous <laughs> use of a qualified human being's time. Um, but when the pandemic hit and, and you know, and, and schools shut down and we were being sent home, these learning packs, the, you know, all this, this entire forest's worth of paper each week. Um, and some of the parents I know weren't satisfied with what was being prepared for their children. Mm. And, and, I, and I did say to one or two of them, you know, you do understand that every single one of these worksheets, these work packs, teachers have stood at a photocopier that breaks down every two hours. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you have to wait for two days for it to be fixed. And they've stood there and they have um, had to do that themselves because in schools, there is no dedicated reprographics department. There is mm. nobody who is in charge of that stuff um, because there just isn't the money. So teachers end yeah. up spending huge amounts of time doing things that actually um, do not in, you know, do not really benefit the children that do mm. not deliver the outcomes that they are qualified to deliver. Um, well, I guess yeah. that's the that's that's the political aspect of how we look at education, isn't it? As if yeah. it's just to deliver and spoon feed a set of information rather than actually to nurture a love a loving relationship with learning. I mean, yeah. I would I I am not anti-school or anti, you know, this mainstream education. However, I recognize that it is not a system that will have benefited me. I wasn't in it, um, but also will not benefit my child or children. Um, I think that comes from a place of privilege, but also just a prioritization of being like, well, actually, I don't want to engage in that. Um, but my thing, the thing is, it's, it's, it is just that. It's like saying, I know that you want to teach these things and I know that you want to, engage with specific students who might need a little bit more of your time or even like I feel like a lot of teachers are even teaching things that they don't necessarily even agree with but because um curriculum say that it has to be taught and da, 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 and then they've got to go and pass exams on these things and etc etc it's it's it becomes this like mass indoctrination mm -hmm. um and it sounds like really radical, right? Like being like, whoa, but it's like, well, actually we're all being taught in a conveyor belt style of just like, this is this, this is this, here's a question, here's the answer. Not like, can you think a little bit about, you know, like a critical thought of it because mm -hmm. there isn't the time to nurture that. I remember going to university and trying to think critically and being reprimanded and failed over and over and over again, because my perception of what I was writing about didn't match the mark scheme. And they're like, Illy, here's the mark scheme, just copy the mark scheme. And I'm like, but what do you mean? <laughs> this makes no sense to my brain. And it was like, that's not how we teach here. Like you have to, you get the question, I'll give you this answer that's basically a set answer and, and, and that's it. And obviously this is an extreme. Yeah, absolutely. That is what happens. And I think a huge part of that is, you know, down to the design of the curriculum, that the purpose of schools, I don't, I'm not always sure that the people in charge of the you know, the, the really um, high stakes decision making mm. um, 
very often I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced by their them having a fully rounded, fully informed educational ethos that, that informs every decision they make. Um, and schools typically, in my experience, it is not the case across the board, do their best within the confines of yeah. what they have. Um, you know, teachers, you get given a horribly reductive curriculum by Michael Gove when he was the education secretary mm. and that strips out any kind of um, teaching about writers from, I mean, I'm talking specifically English. He did do it to other subjects, but my area of specialism was English. And he stripped out, you know, any sort of reference to writers from, from different um, parts of the world. And... Mm. Um, you know, teachers found ways around it, like br brilliantly found loopholes, found time, but always working within the, the, the quite um, close constraints that are placed around them, um, which is ultimately they are judged by their exam results. Yeah, which is, I, I do feel like that is um, kind of reflective of, much bigger political problems the yeah. idea that our worth is based on our kind of output productivity achievements yeah i mean if you if you ask me any question i, yeah. I always think that within about six minutes i can bring it back to capitalism yeah yeah <laughs> but, but Ily and i talk I about this you're the perfect yeah. guest nicola perfect guest <laughs> i would you know what nick i was in a really bad mood this morning and Ily phoned me she was like you're right i was like oh just she's like what's happening i was like oh just just capitalism, just, <laughs> just society. Like it's, it's not a thing. It's just everything. It's so yeah. funny because literally I'll be having conversations with people and it's like, it really depends on who you're talking to, if they just get it or if they don't. Like I'll be like, oh, you know, and the thing is, Isan had to get these new clothes, well, because capitalism. And then <laughs> I had to go to this place, well, because capitalism. And it's like, well, that's the answer for everything. They're like, what, 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 what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, if you don't get it, you don't get it. <laughs> But yeah, capitalism is at the root of a lot of our issues. So how do we, you know, because I think you can relate it to education and the same with healthcare, like midwifery. If you look at the NHS, I think there's actually a huge amount of crossover in what you've been talking about in terms of teaching, whereby NHS midwives or kind of caregivers for people in, in those kind of childbearing years almost get the passion for their job sucked out of them by the system they're trying to operate in. So what happens is something that they've gone into wanting to really make a difference to people and give woman-centred care and person-centred care, actually there ends up just not being space for that mm. because they're under such a huge amount of pressure to get people in and out and mm. um, it all becomes about numbers rather than quality of care. Yeah. Which again, it's political, isn't it? It is political and I, and also... I suppose it brings it back and it's this is a, a this is wrong because of course it's an incredibly privileged point of view but that's why parenting becomes so important yeah because if you are um you know d dissatisfied with the education that your children are getting in school mm. but because of capitalism uh, you have to work, you have to go yeah. out, you have to earn money. And that is what is available to you is the, is the education system as it stands. Um, then you as a parent then have to make decisions 
about, well, what are we going to do at home? What are we mm. going to talk about? Where are we going to go? Who are we? Who are the people we're going to mix with mm. um, within our own family environments? But also, you need the you need the space and time and capacity capacity to actually think about those things yeah which is why i say that it's from a position of privilege yeah. of course yeah. what you would what you would ideally want would be that that is the starting point that totally. the education system delivers those things yeah um as a basic as it is just a yeah it's just a basic foundation and yeah. that then you know parents parents aren't left um navigating that wholly on their own without you know the support systems around them and families who for whatever reason because there are many um are unable to to give their children that um sort of more holistic yeah. um, education they're not left behind they're not left out they're yeah. not left behind they're not excluded um, well, but, yeah. or they're not just put into like categories yeah because and oppressed yeah, yeah because one yeah. thing that I've found so much, and again, this is one of those topics that I'm like, yeah, I could get, I could talk about this for a very long time because having been a sort of like a, someone who was taken out of mainstream education, I can see, and then put back in, I can see how all of this stuff happens. The moment I went to college, after like the first two lessons, they were like, yeah, you're dyslexic. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I don't think I am. And it was interesting to me because I'm dyspraxic, but it was like immediately you've been labeled because you aren't reaching like a like a target or like you're not doing things in the way that everyone else was or for whatever reason and it was like I remember coming back from college and being like to my dad well they said I'm dyslexic and he was like we don't do labels like we don't do labels like that because labels categorize you labels put you into behaving in, in a certain way well if I'm disruptive if you're calling me disruptive well I'm just going to be disruptive if I've got these behavioral issues you know you when you're mm. put in these in these groups and I'm just like oh I don't I don't you know even now like looking at my own child and I'm like oh gosh she's something else I'm like I I I I, I fear what schooling would do and I know it sounds, it sounds really dramatic, but I can see a lot of myself in her, and I know what school did to me and what university did to me. That it takes a lot of awareness, though. It that, does take it? a lot of awareness, and it it takes the privilege as well of being like, yeah. right, well, you know, I'm not going to work. If I'm going to have to find a way to work around this in order to, and I think as well, not every parent is set, is cut out to home educate. Like it's just not. No. It's not. It's not easy. Even if you're passionate about it, it's a big responsibility taking on the education of of a child. I went off on a bit of a tangent. Sorry. No, but it's it, that's it's totally related because it is that space to think about alternatives or space to think about how uh, the impact that a system has on your child, let alone yourself. You know, and a lot of us haven't come from environments where we are taught to think about that. You know, a lot yeah. of us have this mindset of, well, it is what it is. Yeah. It is what it and is. I, and I always, you know, like um, my mom, my mom, I was, I was a week overdue and my mom always says that, um, you know, I've always done everything in my own time. Like I've, I've never been <laughs> in, in a rush yeah. and I'm 40 now. And I, you know, think about the things that I talk about now and the things that I read, but I've been a long time coming to those. Like yeah. I didn't grow up in an environment where, we were taught, you know, and this is no shade on my parents yeah. who are wonderful people. Um, you know, they 
did what they, you know, they did the best that they could with what they had at the yeah. time. And yeah. uh, which is all you can do, isn't it? And, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I came, I came to a lot of this thinking very late. Um, you know, I was just a very typical teenager, very typical 20 something. Um, and it wasn't until I became a mother that, and yeah. I was really confronted with some things that I found very difficult to reconcile yeah. that I started to look around myself and say, hang on a minute, like what is really going on here? Yeah. I think a lot of our listeners will be able to resonate with that. Yeah. It's like, it's like I, I really found that having Oscar when yeah. I had Oscar, it was like, oh, wow. I mean, I only now I have to start thinking. <laughs> yeah, now I have to start thinking. And I only half jokingly say that motherhood radicalized me. Mm. Um, you know, like it sounds like a really um, no, I love that gran grandiose thing to say. But previous to that, there were seeds that were sown. I, you know, I look back over my childhood and my early, you know, sort of my early professional experiences and the kinds of things that I found difficult to, um, yeah, to, to reconcile with myself and mm. to understand why they had to be a certain way. So there were seeds that had been sown along the way in the way that I was raised and the things that I was exposed to. Mm. But those seeds didn't turn into anything until I um, yeah, had my first child and suddenly all of the things that I thought were going to happen were no longer going to happen. And I wanted to know why, like yeah. what is happening? What is happening here? Like, why is this happening? Why do I feel this way? Why do I, f why is it so difficult to achieve the things that I've always believed I could achieve and have been told that I could achieve. Yeah. And suddenly I have a child and that's not the case. Um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I do, it is, it's a little bit tongue in cheek because I am no anarchist. However, um, I do say you know, motherhood radicalized me. Yeah. But I think that like motherhood in some ways radicalized, radicalizes most people. If you, if you, if you lean into that, whether it, whether it kind of like brings out a, a sort of protective instinct, whether it kind of makes you go, right, I'm gonna go and learn. I think particularly, um, I mean, for me, motherhood <clears throat> didn't radicalize me, but it definitely, I just give, I don't give a top, I don't give a monkeys. Like I just take zero bullshit. Like now <laughs> I've been through the wars, honey. Like you can't tell me nothing. <laughs> and, 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 but also what I think has definitely done like done that to me in, in this sort of radicalized way was being a parent of a mixed race child, being married to a white man, seeing a lot of like these shifts. I'm like, oh my God. And now like, he can't stand it when I talk. Like he's like, oh God, what are you gonna say? Oh, what are you gonna say? <laughs> like, you know, what, what are you gonna go off on, go off about now? Um, but I definitely think that, 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 you know, motherhood can it for many people radicalize them if they have like you said, those seeds have slightly been sown. Yeah. Mm. It can really start to water them, you know, and they then mm. kind of go wild. Um, for a lot of us, it doesn't do that because the seeds have never been sown. Um, yeah, so maybe maybe you kind of divide into two camps. Maybe there's one lot of people that are like, oh, wow, okay, I'm going to step into this kind of power and responsibility. And for another group of people, it's, it's almost paralyzing to the point that they think, well, I'm just going to do what my parents did and I'm just going to, try and keep in line as much as possible and focus on these kind of tangible milestones that I can take as attainment or that I'm doing it right. Because actually, 
pushing against these things in any small way because like yeah. i say i i live you know i am fully embedded in a capitalist life like i'm not somewhere yeah. in on some self-sufficient farm in the in the mm. wilds of somewhere you know like homeschooling my children and all of that kind of thing i i live in this system fully yeah but so to push against it in any small way is is difficult it's hard it because it's frustrating and it can make you feel incredibly powerless and maybe and a little alone. bit hopeless and very alone at times. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. So I understand why people don't don't push against it. Yeah. I also think it's very difficult sometimes to find your people. And as a parent, I always I always say to people, find your people. It could be one. It could be it could be many. But you'll find people that and, and you know they 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 make it easier for you to lean into who you are um one of the things i loathe the most about sort of modern day mothering is this idea that we could just go to mum groups and, and make mum friends and that's mm. all we do like <laughs> you're just oh yeah you're now both mums well that's it you'll be the bestest of mm. friends because it's just this motherhood that unites you and it's like well actually sometimes a coincidence <laughs> exactly whereas sometimes what happens there is that you meet a lot of people who are essentially following the status quo because it's safe and it's easy nothing against them because like we said it can be very difficult to do the opposite but for you it can feel even more isolating i've never felt more lonely than i felt in a mum group mm. ever because i'm like god no <laughs> no these aren't my people like because yeah. i'm pushing against all of this stuff but don't you yeah. think that has a lot to do with the rhetoric we have around um what mothers are and their value in that, you know, we should yeah. just be grateful to have friends. Like, for God's sake, you know, you want, yeah. you want a friend who, you know, has the same you want a friend that values like as you. you. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's like, just be just be lucky that you've got these little church groups to go to. You know, that's enough for you. Yeah. As mm. if we're, it's almost kind of belittling the, what a mother needs to mother. But also who you are as an individual outside yeah. mothering. Yeah. Well, the, like, exactly. The hu the humanity of yeah. the mother, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah. what what happens now? So I had this kid and suddenly I can only talk about this child and I am mm. no longer who I was. And there is a huge identity shift that happens when you become a mum. But I think it's like, I'm still, I'm still there. Like I'm still, I'm still who I who I was I suppose but just with more mm. with something else and it's like when we when you know I don't even necessarily feel like I need to have friends that have the same political views as me 100% obviously to a, a degree please do mm. um but like <laughs> you know it's just like I like it's that connecting with people who are just willing to question things I suppose and and yeah. and yeah just see things a little bit differently than we've been spoon fed that's um, it yeah i love um i love people who want to know why you know like <laughs> well, why why do you think that where are you getting those ideas from and you try as much as you bring your own beliefs to those conversations you try to re you know stay judgment tree is at yeah. the end sort of relatively neutral because what you're actually trying to understand is why those things are happening and why that's the way people think and why where have they got those ideas from and why are they so um determined to keep hold of those ideas mm. um into you sort of trying to dig a little deeper into everything and that is not something i did before i had 
my kids. Yeah, <laughs> same, same. I, I, you know, like I, I was raised with a really strong sense of fairness. I think that has has informed an awful lot of my sort of politics in the last ten years. Is that just really justice and fairness were mm. paramount in our household, like just as a family, never mind, you know, between siblings, never mind anything yeah. else. Um, and yeah, it was, it, it, but it took a long time for that to turn into anything else um, at all. Mm. And actually it's, I often feel like it is my job as a parent to create an environment where it is safe for my child to explore their beliefs and yeah. to explore the way they feel without my judgment. Hmm. Yeah, which is really difficult. It's really <laughs> difficult because because we haven't had that modelled for us. Uh, no, no, like you know, and we we grow up in a society that the reprimands us for certain views or certain beliefs, or that actually, you know, we're told, yeah, it's good to ask questions, but it's not. Yeah, y you're not you're not taught that it is <laughs> at all. And there were certain topics that were off. Bound, totally you know, out yeah. of bounds totally. that you yeah. weren't that were not you were not allowed to talk no. about mm -hmm. um you know my kids my kids are eight and six and they ask me the most interesting questions and I have to think really hard about how I answer them um but if if I were I don't know if I hadn't have done the learning that I've done over the last 10 years, then I can imagine that some of the questions that they ask me would make me feel incredibly uncomfortable. And I'd probably yeah. shut those conversations down before they ever got started. Yeah. And make um, them almost feel bad for asking. Yeah. And then they yeah. avoid, you know, then yeah. in turn, they then avoid those topics of, well, they've, of they, conversation well, they've, as well. What they felt is that actually they're going to get, be disconnected from if they ask difficult things and no kid wants that. Yeah. So it has, a, I think it has a huge impact actually on the attachment relationships we have with our kids when they don't feel like it's safe to be completely themselves and to get it wrong. Yeah. yeah. You know, that actually they'll be reprimanded for saying something silly or um, challenging us in a way that we don't feel comfortable with. Mm. And who are we to dictate that? Yeah, it's so interesting because I've been thinking a lot about kind of the challenge that it is to like reparent so yeah. the way that you were parented it's very easy to just be like oh, i'm just gonna do what i did i turned out okay yeah like, it's mm. cool and pushing against that is is such a challenge it's such a challenge and and, and like it's not because my parents did anything that was like like wildly wrong yeah it's just like oh I, I perhaps i've got a bit more insight i've got more support i'm a different person i'm in a different mm. relationship i you know i don't want to do those things and I, I i find myself just slipping into like i'm like oh my god you sounded like mum. oh my yeah. god no that's not <laughs> what you wanted to say like you know Ihsan it's like is reflexes like, though it is it is it's like it just comes out and you go oh yeah. god I don't even know where that came from, but I remember actually being told that, you know, mm. being, being, you know, it, 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 as someone who's from a Caribbean family, like extended Caribbean family as well, it's like children are seen and not heard. And, and it's not even, it's even like said sometimes with affection, like it's mm. like a compliment. Oh, look, you didn't even notice that they were there. <laughs> Mm. And it's like, oh, it's like maybe because you told them to shut up, maybe because you told them that they're not supposed to speak or for their presence to be known. And 
now I've got Ihsan who's asking so many questions. Like she just is continuous. She makes sure that her presence is felt. And I'm like, this feels unnatural. <laughs> yeah. Instinctively, I want to tell her to just go and play or mm. to to not ask me so many questions or to, you know, whatever. To behave in to behave. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, oh man, nope. And what do you, what's that, Ihsan? Oh yeah, I'm going to answer that for the millionth time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, 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 you know. But and I think we have to confront a lot of our own feelings of shame and insecurity and vulnerability yeah. in order to be able to have to have any hope of doing that. Yeah. And that's what I think most people avoid doing because it is so difficult mm. and painful. It's just like something else, isn't it though? Something well, and it hurts. else it has to do. It hurts. It hurts yeah. to think I have growing to do. I have learning to do. It it makes us feel insecure. It makes us feel not good enough. All of those messages that have subconsciously filtered into our lives come up and it's really uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that um, there's there's kind of like this moral binary that we live where you're Mm. either good or you're bad. bad. Yeah. And actually none of us are either. And we we do good things and we do bad things. And And we get it wrong. Yeah. And it's human. Yeah. 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 Do you think um, social media has had an impact on how people talk about politics or how active they are in exploring their beliefs? Mm. I think it's a double-edged sword, to be honest. Mm. I think social media has this incredible power to reach people mm. and disseminate information and I'm not sure that I would have um, sort of, I'm not sure that I would have evolved, changed or, or, or you know, my ideas have, have shifted um, in the way that I had, in the way that they have, had I not started sort of exploring social media, because I think that it's an introduction to ideas and concepts. Mm. It really did have a formative role to play Mm. um, because I didn't come from a family where we read, you know, political theory or political texts or we particularly revered politicians of any kind. And I don't just mean party politicians, um, you know, activists, anything of that nature. And I don't know where I would have found the starting points. So, um, on social media, I found the starting points that I then used to um, accelerate my learning, to, to sort of sp- to jump as jumping off points to then deepen my learning and deepen my reading and, and widen my reading um, and, uh, and understanding and thinking. And were it not for social media, I don't know where I actually would have come across um, those things and those people that have helped Mm. me do that however um it's also incredibly reductive Mm. um you create your own echo chamber so which sometimes can be a really lovely thing actually when you're feeling in despair at the state of the world and you can go on social (laughs) media and find all your friends who think the same way you think that Mm. actually can be really reassuring but of course that can work in dangerous ways too that's not a benevolent that's not necessarily a benevolent force um 
and also I think sometimes with social media people think that's where it starts and that's where it ends yeah. so if you are talking about things on social media and reading things on social media then you are doing what you need to do in order to facilitate change and facilitate progress yeah you've ticked the box you've ticked the box yeah. and you've and now moved on and face just like yeah, yeah. but this but this is what i was taught i was talking about this on stories this morning because we have this very performative way of expressing ourselves where something terrible happens something traumatic happens and it suddenly triggers in us the need to react to show that we're good people and we do a like half an hour of quickly trying to find something to repost or reshare or or wait a way to communicate and then it's like oh god i'm glad that's done you know, yeah. rather than, you know, do, doing the in-between work, doing yeah. the ongoing foundational learning that we have to do if we want to live in a different way or if we yeah. want to really action change. It isn't quick. It isn't comfortable. It isn't, um, it doesn't fit into a box. It certainly doesn't fit into a square on instagram and that really really frustrates me because i know for instance when um sarah everard was murdered i had so many people in my inbox saying oh can you tell us how you spoke to your sons about this i want to know what to say to my kids Mm. and it's like no no because what you could do is you could go and listen to the last two series of my podcast where i talk about something that might seem to you to be completely irrelevant but actually it is all the same conversation. Yeah. And it is opening your mind to realise how every other kind of facet of your life will impact the way you parent. You know? Yeah. Everything that you've been through, everything that you've learned, the way you've learned, the conversations you have, the people you have around you, the money you earn, everything is going to affect how you feel in your day-to-day life and how you can be active in political change. There isn't one answer that means you've got it right. Yeah. But I find that people don't really want to spend lots of time listening or learning from things that seem to be irrelevant. No, they, I, no, they don't. And, um, you know, or that it isn't praised or that someone hasn't said, oh, well done for speaking up on that. Yeah. Well, that isn't, isn't, isn't current. Yeah. Like this and reactive. is the issue. Yeah. Like now, for example, um, the, the stuff with Palestine and Israel, mm. it's been thrust into the limelight and people wanted to talk about it for a week. Yeah. And then they wanted to stop talking about it. But the conflict between Palestine and Israel is not new. A mm. conflict, mm. the genocide and apartheid. <laughs> let's be, let's be, let's get real now. Mm. Um, but you know that's 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 not a new thing. But until it was like, you know, people being able to actually see like tangible trauma porn, they were like, oh yeah, we don't we don't engage in that. And I do, I completely get that. It is really difficult to engage with issues all over the world and lots of things that are happening. Like we only have such a capacity, right? But at the same time, it's like, well, you can, you you don't have to wait until it's trending to talk about yeah, it. And exactly you can do that. more than just share a square or share an infogram. Like education by Instagram is the biggest assault on intelligence that I have ever seen. Yeah. Like I'm like, mm. you, you just quoted, you just quoted an infogram that you saw that was written by Jack 
living in his mum's basement who like has no idea like he's just written something you're not backing it up with anything mm. whatsoever you know that's really interesting because i do i've got a few few friends who talk about the who who believe in social media for the same reasons that i believe in it in terms of it being a relatively and i use that <laughs> words really strongly um d d democratic way of disseminating information where um there are power structures at play without doubt however you can subvert them in different ways and you mm. can find your people far more easily than than through traditional routes mm. but there is also this this danger and you know that that Sometimes the people who become kind of the lightning rods for issues are not always the best people um, to, you know, to educate everybody else. They don't, you know, they don't always have a significant body of study or knowledge. And, and I hesitate saying that because that in itself is problematic because who are the people who have the um, time and resources in order to go and study, in order to mm. develop a body of work or a body of study. So it's all, but it's, but I think as long as you are kind of, you know, there, are, there are no straight lines, there are no easy answers, basically. Yeah. And I just always think as long as you're, you're not trying to find an easy answer and mm -hmm. a simple solution or a quote, like you say, that can encapsulate the entirety of the human experience, then you're probably on the right tracks if you're, you know, if you're not doing that. And, and social media does have this reductive quality that makes it's which can make it dangerous and can mean that actually the voices that we should be listening to are drowned out by people who just happen for whatever reason to have a huge following who yeah. amplifies their voice for them. Yeah. I think it's 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 important to re to recognize like you said there's a there's definitely a benefit to it but I I see it as a starting point. Yeah. Like being like cool, I that has opened up conversations. Yeah. That has made me want to go and find the books that these people are recommending yeah. or to go and look into people more yeah. like yeah. rather than to be like yeah well she said like I would hate it when people would quote me. I'm like yeah. no, don't take my word for it. Don't take my word <laughs> exactly, for it. Exactly. Yeah. Like I'm not claiming to be an expert on yeah. anything. Mm. I have my own biases. I have mm. my own like reasons for believing this and for peddling this whether or not they're conscious or not um and so for you to just be like yeah well she said that but i never told you to tell i never, you, I never told you to say what i said mm. like you know and i'd constantly be reiterating i'm not an educator i'm not an educator i'm yes. not an activist like i am just sharing my opinion and do with it what you wish i don't actually care like it's it's very unlikely to change my opinion but it mm. is just to let you know what my thoughts are on this yeah you know, and a lot of people can't see that for what it is. They're like, mm. they don't see it as you just sometimes just sharing your thoughts. Mm. You know? Because we want everything to be easy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I find it deeply uncomfortable that um, there are times when, you know, race is the thing that everyone wants to talk about on social media. Mm. That, that because I've talked about it from my perspective as a parent to um, mixed race children, that I get, I get you know, referred to or I get tagged in on things and I'm thinking, well, no, everything I know has come from other people. And actually, I find it really uncomfortable because how the notion that I could be an authority on race and racism 
is 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 just foolish um mm. <laughs> and so i you know i always think well no these are so i do my best to signpost other people books whether it be social media accounts that are are linked to movements or people who i feel are mm. you know n- not just speaking out but have like Illy was saying before, have things to back it up with. Um, and those are the people who I try and direct people yeah. towards. But I do find it uncomfortable, but also interesting that, that people find it so easy to tag me in on those conversations when actually I, I try to be as clear as possible that what I talk about, I have learned from elsewhere. I think it shows just how li- little people listen, though. Yeah. I mean, there are, yeah, always. <laughs> Because it's just like, I'll I'll quickly repost that. (laughs) Yeah, I think as well, it comes down to like the access to you and you being like easier with like a 7,000, 8,000 following than someone with a 500,000 following. Yeah. Right. Or someone who they who's not on Instagram, who's perhaps written a best selling book. But if you Mm. can't if you can't message them directly, well, then it's like, oh, that's just long. I'm not going to bother doing that. Like so, you know, when you are accessible in that way where they can feel like they've engaged in a conversation with you or whatever, then it's like, yeah, see, she knows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm going to quote her. Um, And it's like, oh, no. Like similarly to you, I'm like I learn this from other people. Mm. I don't, mm. I don't claim to know anything myself. Although, like when someone starts talking about like racism in birth work and stuff like that, I'm like, well, we can talk about that. Like yeah. I know a bit more about that. But you know, there's a lot for me. There's a lot on social media that's like stay in your lane. Like people don't want to stay in their lane, and so not only are they being quoted, but they're allowing themselves to be mm. quoted. They they make themselves the master of something without having done a lot of the work. Mm. Mm. Um, and when it comes to political issues or issues on race and stuff like that, it's like, are you really the voice of authority on this one? Mm. Like, should you really be? Or are you taking it for what it is? Are you taking it for what it is, yeah. You know, rather than trying to look for the spokesperson actually shouldn't we all be looking for lots of spokespeople and lots of sources of information and learning and then getting in touch with the way we feel about it yeah 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 rather than wanting to to just kind of buy someone else's views essentially yeah and I think that act of self-examination is something that you know we are hardwired to avoid because it's so difficult and can be so challenging um and yeah, reposting something on social media sort of absolves you of that responsibility, yeah. doesn't it? Because you can yeah. sort of feel like you've done something, you can feel like you've thought, you can feel like you've acted, and yeah. actually you haven't because you haven't looked in the mirror, you haven't looked at yourself. Yeah. Well, actually, the idea as well that it only counts if people can see it. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I, cause it's really interesting that you've you've talked about that because for months now. I mean, there's been a slow, I've been, a, there's been a slow departure from social media um, for me, which has probably mm-hmm. taken place over the last couple of years, really. And then over the last 12 months has is, is, is sort of gained pace. And, you know, I feel, do feel conflicted. Um, Illy mentioned the stuff around Israel and Palestine. And I, I was, I felt, oh gosh, I, I should be saying something. And the very fact that I felt like I should made Mm. me pause and say well to what end and I did feel really conflicted because I thought well the end is that 
the more people who talk about it, the more people will take it seriously, which is, tr- mm. which is tr- true. You know, like if you make enough noise collectively about something on social media, you can have an impact. There is that. Yeah. But the notion that it would be enough to just post something on sh- social media and not go beyond that made me want to back away from social media as an outlet for those thoughts mm. and feelings. Um, because, you know, that I, I just feel very conflicted by anything that, that, that I do because I feel like I should. Um, yeah. yeah. Because what is that? Because what, what, what actually is that? Like this, that yeah. is other people's expectations. That is um, me not really understanding my own motivations um, for yeah. doing something, which is and it's ego, isn't and it? And, well. and, and definitely, there's a, I mean, yeah, like we all have ego, and yeah, you know, it's it, it's part of all of this that we have to kind yeah. of navigate. I do think as well, though, like what there isn't enough of on social media. It's like you're saying, you're kind of like easing away, checking yourself. People don't check themselves enough. Yeah. I, the amount of people, I have one woman in particular that insists on sending me very graphic videos of um, what's happening in Palestine. I get approximately four or five of these videos a day. Wow. And I'm thinking to myself, what's your aim? Mm. What is your aim here? And what makes you think that social media is the only form of activism that I would be doing and that I have to share that with you, that mandatory yeah. show that you care? Mm, yeah. Because if you're not showing that you care, means then you, don't. you clearly don't care or that you then support Israel. <laughs> it's yeah. like, where did you, well, you have literally, you have literally added one plus one and created like 1500. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's, it is, it's wild to me. And this thing I, and I, I spoke, I've spoken on it numerous times, but I said, sometimes guys it's better that some people are silent misinformation and also just this kind of tick box exercise is sometimes more dangerous Mm, than actually staying quiet and also the sense of sometimes the sense of entitlement to speak on things wild isn't it yeah it's actually this is not for me to speak on like this is for me to perhaps amplify somebody else's voice but not for me to add my own thoughts to it because well why who am I like what uh, what part of of that topic of that subject or that um, experience do I uh you know have have I got actual experience of and that doesn't mean you can't understanding your own capacity so yeah and and it doesn't mean you can't empathize of course you can empathize but um can you is your voice always um necessary and I I don't know I'm I sometimes think probably not (laughs) Do you think? Do you think often though that gets that gets relabeled as opting out of politics, which we do see as this kind of luxury for mm. privileged people, and just because you're not posting about something on social media, doesn't mean you're not learning about it or sitting with it yourself and and on your own journey with it. Yeah. But actually, you know, and that doesn't need to be problematic. But when you know how uh, so many people. I just like, you know, politics is just not for me. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I... And that's something really different. I, I, do you know, it isn't, it isn't, because right. when people used to say, I'm not political, I don't do politics, I never speak about politics, whether that was in real life or on social media, it used to really yeah. infuriate me, because I used to be like, like how yeah. dare you? Like, do you not understand yeah. how important it is? And actually, with time and just a, a bit of maturity, <laughs> I've learned to kind of actually go, well... When they say that, like, what do they mean? 
because what do you mean yeah because some people what they mean is they don't they're not interested in party politics which actually yeah I can totally get on board with because yeah. it's a mess yeah, and it's yeah. so dis- and it's so corrupt uh, it's corrupt and it's disempowering and, bloody confusing. and it's confusing mm-hmm. and it's meant to be like that because that keeps us away from it um so that's a different thing sometimes that's that's about a perception gap about what is politics actually um mm. and then sometimes i think there are other people who just feel incredibly disenfranchised because perhaps their experience of life is that no matter what they try to engage with and do that there are so the obstacles are so great for them that they just then just don't engage um and that, and that can be a pattern over generations mm-hmm. um and then there are other people who absolutely comes from just a place of pure privilege where you have always been okay so engaging yeah. the, the uh, so not engaging with politics is a choice that you can make to keep your life peace, yeah. peaceful and, actually, and calm. It's never going to work against you because yeah. the system works in your favour. Yeah. So I think there's sometimes a lot of different things happening when people say they don't want to engage with yeah. politics. That's interesting. I do also think, though, perhaps a lot of people don't realise what's political and what's Absolute, not. Absolutely, yeah. Like, yeah. They, they can't, you know, I've spoken about politics. And they're like, I'm not here for the politics. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. but I'm a mum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm that a human. Is, that is political. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm a mum. I'm a person who, you know, lives on this planet. Mm. I'm black. I'm Muslim. I have a mixed race child. Like my whole existence is so political yeah. and yours is too, in some way or another, yeah. it touches yeah. on politics. And it's if we don't get that so many things from education system to the healthcare system, to the, the sort of uh, the penalty that is motherhood, that all of it has its core in capitalism and politics, <laughs> then we will never be able to be like, you, you, you can't, it's very difficult to be apolitical in that sense. And, but I think a lot of people don't even realise when they are being political. No. Um, and I that's, think that's because we think it's just about party politics. We do, exactly that, that exactly yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, because you see it on social media, you know, you might have a fashion account who says they don't talk about politics, but they do talk about the fact that they... Ethical uh, fashion. Ethical fashion yeah. or you know, sustainable yeah. clothing. It's like, but you're talking about politics. Yeah. You're just talking about yeah. a very particular area of politics. Well, they just don't, yeah. And, and what you don't, yeah, you, I, you know, and there, are, and there are things that you either feel uncomfortable or unwilling or unable to talk about that you've mm. put in the political box and actually yeah. you are talking it's about, po- you are already talking about politics. Yeah. So for you, Nicola, yeah. when <laughs> you think about um, how your understanding and journey with politics affects your parenting, mm. how do you feel like you actively integrate that into your parenting? Um, I That's a big question, it is isn't a it? Big, Sorry. No, no, it's okay. <laughs> I think it, I don't, I, I don't, it's, this is going to uh, be the worst answer ever. I don't know because mm. I, I think, you know, you mentioned earlier about not having a model for a way to raise a politically conscious child. <laughs> mm. So I muddle through and I am absolutely certain that there are times when I get it really wrong. And mm. there are times where I, maybe I get it right and think I've got it wrong. And maybe there are times when I, I, I think I've got it right. And in fact, I've got it massively wrong. Like I, I, I have no clear, I, I don't have clarity on what I'm doing as a parent in order to try and raise my children to be politically conscious. But I mm. do, but what I do do 
is we, I facilitate conversations um, and we talk about things that they want to talk about and sometimes to uh, perhaps to a greater depth than um, I feel instinctively comfortable with. It's always age appropriate. Mm. Like I would, I, I, my daughter came home a few weeks ago asking what the N word was. And um, wow. I had to, which was swiftly followed by an incident where my son, who's six, heard the N word being used in the playground towards another child. Mm. So it, there was a lot happening in quite a short amount mm. of time. And um, yeah, like, you know, that conversation was age appropriate, but I told them the history of the N-word and where uh, it came from and how it had historically been used um, mm. and how it was still, you know, still used today. And there were bits of that conversation that we left out because it's not appropriate for an eight-year-old to know about mm. um, lynching picnics, you know, like those sorts of thing, terrible mm. things. It's not appropriate. Mm. But... Um, we, I, the conversation, I, the conver built on, I the conversation exactly and we laid those foundations mm. and we talked about it and the, the conversation happened um and so it's those kinds of moments my son then came home one day had a, had had an accident and bumped his head um and he had a yellow accident form and at the top incorrectly I might like to add they've written gender male female mf which annoyed me immensely because of course that's not gender but, but, but besides the point my son then said mm. to me mommy what's gender and so we talked about what gender is um in a mm. age appropriate way for a six-year-old so i don't have like a road you know like a blueprint a roadmap a plan yeah. but i try my best to welcome conversation um we um have lots of books in our house um, mm. that encourage those conversations perhaps um, and that can again like like social media has done for me as an adult I kind of see that making these books available to my children who can now both read um, they yeah. they explore things at their own pace and then they come to me with questions and you know we 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 talk we have conversations and and actually I think that's Although that sounds massively simplistic, perhaps, uh, and not a very good answer. Like I can't tell people how to raise their children. Answer. Me too. But it's. But I sort of think. Well, actually, that's where everything starts. Is with a yeah. conversation. Where you, and it's the only way it's going to be sustainable, isn't it? Yeah. And actually, there isn't. You know, you don't. I, I have a um, a book group. So after the whole Black Lives Matter resurgence last summer, um, mm. the um, this, my, my children's school have been very supportive and very open to um, expanding their curriculum and they've had outside speakers in and, and you know they're doing all sorts of things and then mm -hmm. as part of that there is a group of parents there's five of us we're all white women um, which in itself could be problematic but we've kind of leveled it because there are some of the women in that group who they're very much sort of on their, 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 their first rungs of learning about this stuff mm. and some of what they can sometimes say you wouldn't I would never want them to say in front of people that it would cause hurt or harm towards so mm. um and we, we know we talk in that 
group, we have these conversations about these ideas. And, and one of the moms asked, um, what should she be doing with her children? She has three children. What should she be doing to teach her children about race and about racism and about how to grow up anti-racist or as anti-racist as it is possible to be in a system that reinforces racism all the time? But that's a, yeah. a story for a, a different day. Um, and I think what she thought she should be doing was sitting her children down and having mm. like almost like extracurricular sessions about this stuff yeah. A, yeah. in a really directed way. Um, and you yeah, know, we're going to talk about this. Yeah, today we're going to talk about this. And once we've talked about it, we move on to the next thing. Yeah. And then we've done it and, 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 and that's done. And it's done. Yeah. And, you know, and it actually was like, wow, like, no, <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a lifetime's work for you yeah. and for your children. And you, you can facilitate that you can perhaps um, not facilitate, uh, provoke those conversations by what you're exposing them to. Um, but your responsibility is to be ready in the moment yeah. um, to have Always. that conversation when they want to have that conversation. Yeah. So that means you as a parent, part of your job is to educate yourself so that when mm -hmm. the opportunities arise, you're not left completely stumped. Yeah, and panic. And panics. And in the eventual and actually another thing we talked about was that in the eventuality that you are left stumped, is that you say to them, Do you know what? That is something that I've never thought about. And we need to yeah. go away and we can go away and we can find out together. Um so yeah, like conversation, but not in a I don't know, like formalized setting. Yeah. <laughs> That, that kind of applies think? to consent as well, doesn't it? Because a lot of people say, you know, it how, do you talk to, to how do you talk to boys about consent? Yeah, like how do you so talk to... Am I, how, yeah, how do you am I listening to when they say no to something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, when you're tickling them and they say stop, do you, yeah. do you stop? Yeah. Um, yeah. Not just basic things like that. But yeah, I, I think I feel like it applies to everything. And it's, yeah. and it's impossible to know what they are absorbing. It is, you can't test them on it. Yeah, um, yeah. it's impossible to know like how successful you are being in your, in achieving your aims. Um, yeah. but I always think, well, it's a, it's a process like, yeah. like most things and, you know, being able to measure it isn't the point. Um, yeah. doing it is the point. And I think as well, like, do you know, just kind of like round up, like you, your answer, you're like, I know it's not a very good answer <laughs> by saying, I don't know. Right. Mm. And it's like, I wish more people would say, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I wish that they wouldn't try and they wouldn't feel pressured to kind of give this answer and to act like they they know everything and saying, actually, I don't know. But when when it arises, I look into kind of, oh, what, what, what should I do here? And I deal with the situation when it presents itself and I ensure that all of these things are around them, that it is just sort of like... And perhaps you don't know because it's just so normal in your life. Like you mm. couldn't pinpoint what it is in particular because you've done all of the other work surrounding it and you are continuously doing the other work surrounding it so that you can't give this like clear cut answer of, well, I hired a tutor and she came on a Tuesday and she spoke to them about race, <laughs> right? Like, you know, where it's just like, actually it's in the conversations with our family and our extended family and our friends and who they mix with and what they read and where they go and all of those yeah. things instead. And I think that really what I'm trying to say is saying, I don't know is often the best answer rather than trying to do something else. 
Well, it normalises having things to learn as well. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah. It's my thoughts. <laughs> oh, I feel like every week we're like, we could talk about this all day. <laughs> but these are such big conversations. It's very hard to condense a conversation like this into an hour. You know, I'm sure you guys feel the same. But if you, if people wanted to engage with you, Nicola, and find you, mm. can you tell us where they can do that? Where? If you'd like to be like, no, just leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> so you can find me on Instagram at um, too much mothering information. And um, on my Instagram as well, something that I'm really keen to get out as far as possible is a document that I put together last summer. Um, it was something that I felt like I had the professional expertise to put together as, a, as an ex-teacher um, and also made use of all of the, a lot of the reading and research that I've done in the last 10 years or so. Um, and it's a document about helping um, parents uh, approach schools um, to widen their curriculum in order to teach um, histories of black and brown people uh, British histories of black and brown people as well as sort of like colonial histories um, as well and um, you can sign up to that there's a there's a link in my bio and it will send you a big google spreadsheet in that spreadsheet are some resources to help parents approach their child's school um, it's more aimed at primary schools because there is actually a lot out there already for secondary schools and um, there's also a, a huge spreadsheet of actual resources, websites, videos, podcasts, newspaper articles, all of the above. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. Please follow, rate and review wherever you're listening. And do jump onto Instagram to chat with us both. All our details and Nicola's are in the episode show notes. 